0: This is Prayer Room Companion, episode ninety-four, recorded April twenty-fifth, twenty twelve. The great gift of the Holy Spirit to the Church of our time. Welcome to Prayer Room Companion. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald, and I'm Father Andrew Dickinson. And uh, Prayer Room Companion, as you know, it depends upon you, dear listener, for our support. Actually, not really, <laughs> but it'd be nice, it'd be nice.
1: 50 Father, cents a day, that's all we ask.
0: <laughs> Father, nobody has responded yet to the two-week-old contests. Wow. Well, so, dear listener, yeah. if, anybody, if, anybody's, if anybody hears this, um, we're, we're excited about getting to episode 100 because this is episode 94. woo but if nobody's listening. <laughs> you know, Father and I, we, we enjoy getting together, but you know we do have other things we could be doing. Right, Father? This is, sound, uh, this is sounding threatening, isn't it?
1: This is not a threat. <laughs> I'm taking my toys and I'm leaving.
0: No, but it, we, we, uh, we do value your feedback, topics, uh, any questions you might have. Uh, as always, please feel free to uh, send them our way. Easiest way to do that is by emailing me at cbergwald.sfcatholic.org, c-b-u-r-g-w-a-l-d at sf um, we, we Father and I usually manage to come up with something, and lately we've been doing it more than a day, day, day in advance, but if there's something that you specifically want to hear about, and we've done that in the past and some of you have sent things in, but well, please let us know. Um... And also, if you want a different book, too, if it's just because Father Barron's incredible book, Catholicism, does that excite you? You know, <laughs> let me know. So at least we know, is anybody out there? Right, Father?
1: Is anybody? Is, hello? Hello. Is there anybody out there?
0: Yeah. So anyway, but uh, today what we're going to talk about is an event in the past uh, but this is how we're, we're, I'm going to do this, kind of tease the audience a little bit. Um, it's how, because you already know the answer, but just roll with me here. This is, I've been uh, quizzing people um, at some talks I've been giving over the last few months. An event in the last century that, blessed John Paul II, described as the great gift of the Spirit to the Church of our time. John Paul II said, this event is the great, was, is the great gift of the Spirit to the Church of our time. Um, and a lot of people you know, throw out guesses but but many people are surprised by the true answer of the, the, what John Paul II said is the great gift of the Spirit to the Church of Our Time and that is
1: I don't know what could it be?
0: Mm, dang it
1: I've been playing along
0: I guess I'll have to carry this podcast <laughs> I know but when I point <laughs> to you You're Father when along. I point to you that means answer <laughs> <laughs> oh sorry Sorry,
1: I'm I thought sure your point to me meant, "Hey, play your part."
0: Oh, sorry. No. What is the what is the answer, Father?
1: I'm a method actor. Okay,
0: so yes, you are. What is the answer, Father? So what is the answer? So what? What? What is the great gift to the spirit of the spirit to the church in our time, Father?
1: The Second Vatican Council.
0: Yep, Vatican II. Uh, John Paul II said Vatican II was and is the great gift of the Spirit to the Church of our time. Um, And yet, I think for many of us, you know, speaking at least, well, I don't know, I think speaking for Father and myself or our generation, um, it's something that was either right before or shortly after or maybe even a ways before we were born. And it certainly impacted the Church as we grew up, uh, particularly with regard to the liturgy. But a number of people... um, in terms of popes and theologians and others, have noted that there's more that needs to be done. That the council needs to be fully implemented. Yes, we've done some things, but there's more that has to be done. You know, I think if you think of the are you, again using the idea of a gift, it's as if we sort of unwrapped the gift and looked at it and taken a few things out, but there's so much more there. That, that we can still take advantage of. There's so much more there that God desires to give us through the Second Vatican Council.
1: Very, which, which is always true of any of our Lord's gifts, especially his, his great gifts, is that you, in a sense, it's inexhaustible. And so when we consider you know, the gift of our baptism, of our confirmation, of the Eucharist, eternal life, priesthood, your marriage... You know, you, you never think, oh, well, you know, my wedding day is over, my ordination day is done, so I guess that's all there is to it. In the same way with uh, this uh, Holy Council of the Church. Just because uh, the council might be concluded doesn't mean that the council or the invitation of the council is done.
0: Absolutely. That the, 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 uh, yeah, that's a, that's a great point, Father. That Every gift that God gives us is, is really inexhaustible. Um, and particularly with the great gifts that, the ch- that God gives to the entire church, like the 21 ecumenical councils, um, Vatican II, of course, being the 21st. Um, but the, the, the thing that, that, again, popes and others have noted is that the, um, there's so much more that needs to be done. There's a quote that I came across several years ago from the great Jesuit scholar of the 20th century, Henri de Lubac, uh, and De Lubac uh, wrote this just in 1969. This is Vatican II was, was began. Um, the council began in the in the uh, late fall of 1962 and concluded in the fall of um, 1969, uh, or sorry, 1965. So just over the course of of uh, three four three years, um, four sessions in total, the the council did its work. Just four years later, De Lubac wrote this. The program for the renewal of the church was traced by the last council. Everyone uses it as a reference. That is the documents of the council. Everyone uses it as a reference, but in a hundred different ways. Actually, the council is little known and followed even less. So that's Henri de Lubac. The council, one of the great figures uh, of the Second Vatican Council in terms of the theologians who were assisting the bishops, uh, de Lubach's influence uh, certainly among the theologians he, he was one of the theologians with the greatest influence in the council and yet he noted the fact just four years after the council concluded the council is little known and followed even less and unfortunately I'm not sure that that has improved uh, yeah. too much uh, in the last 43 years um, so why are we talking about it though you know, Father you and I have talked about the year of faith which is beginning this fall and one of the things we noted go ahead
1: well, why are we having a year of faith? Because of the 50th know. anniversary I don't, I don't of the know. beginning oh. of Vatican II in the fall oh. of 1962, <laughs> plus 50 equals fall of 2012.
0: Exactly. Yeah, the, the, uh, the year of faith is beginning on the 50th anniversary of the opening of the Second Vatican Council by Blessed Pope John XXIII. Um and also, of course, it's the 20th anniversary of the promulgation of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, um,
1: which... Which is a great fruit of the absolutely. Second Vatican Council. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. So, um, Benedict himself, following in, in the footsteps of, of John, uh, John Paul II and the footsteps of Paul VI, they've all sort of noted that the Council needs... To be fully implemented, the council needs to be fully implemented. The council, but I think it'd be helpful, um, and that's what we're going to do here uh, in this this week's private press to talk a little bit about. Okay, what the, exactly is the council? Okay, so it was held from sixty two to sixty five, twenty first ecumenical council, but what what is it? what was its purpose? Um, And I think one way we can see it is actually looking to the first, there there were 16 documents, just in terms of the the details, the factual details, there were 16 documents issued by the bishops bishops of the church. So an ecumenical council is a gathering of all the bishops, uh, the Catholic bishops of the world together um, to address some issue uh, present in the church. Uh, and and typically, there in every every council uh, thus far, there are documents which are written and issued um, with the approval of the bishops and the Pope, um, the Pope at the time. So uh, the first document, one of the four constitutions of the council, was on the sacred liturgy, Sacrosanctum Concilium. And Father, do you have uh, do you have that text uh, handy by chance?
1: Uh,
0: I can. No, no, don't worry about it. I, uh, um, I feel like I've been blathering on for a few minutes. Um, <laughs> the introduction, the first article of Sacrosanctum Concilium, the name itself means this sacred council, uh, sacred council. So most sacred council, sacrosanctum, the most sacred council um, referring to Vatican II itself. Uh, and the introduction, the resolve. first article sort of sets out the to purpose the for the, the council. Um, and uh, I'll just go ahead and read it to give you an idea of how the
1: even before that historically, I mean, there is some discussion that you know, Pius Eleventh had, uh, uh, had thought about calling a council. Pius um, the Twelfth thought about calling a council, and uh, so there was some idea of this um, kind of germinating within uh, within Vatican and cardinal circles in that sense, right. Uh, with a rest desire being that, of course, Vatican II means that there must have been a Vatican... One? Yes. Vatican One, which is in the 19th century, the 1800s, which was interrupted by Italian Civil War, I do believe, yes? Yep. And so there's a desire in some way to continue some of these things and to kind of some of these germinating ideas that were at play in Vatican I to continue them. And so that's part of that larger background.
0: Right. Um, and, and there was as part of that debate. There was, you know, what would we do? And some thought it could be just a pretty quick pro forma almost thing to conclude the work of Vatican I. Uh, but as as uh, when John the Twenty Third announced in 1958 that the council or 59 that council John would be held, um, and then the cardinals and bishops of the world started thinking what that would cardinals look like. Sort of, it, it became a, a broader. Uh, it It grew in scope, uh, there was a broadening of the scope of the purpose of the council to sort of um, renew the church. Uh, and, and it's really very much in keeping ahead. with what we hear, what we think about, um, or we talk about when we think about the new evangelization. How can we present the the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the, the saving teachings of the church to the men and women of our time in a way where they'll be, in a sense, more able to understand them, where they'll be more, um, in a sense, intelligible to able, them. Intelligible. So it certainly was never an a uh, uh, plan to change the, the teachings of the church. Some people seem to think that. uh, It had nothing to do with it. Rather, it was about renewing the church and finding a new way to proclaim the gospel to the people of our time. So, with that as the the backdrop, then, if you look at the beginning of Second Second Vatican Council, this is Article 1. This Sacred Council has several aims in view. So, there are several purposes to this, the, the Second Vatican Council. It desires to impart an ever increasing vigor to the Christian life of the faithful to adapt more suitably to the needs of our own times, those institutions which are subject to change, to foster whatever can promote union among all who believe in Christ, to strengthen whatever can help to call the whole of mankind into the household of the church. The council, and this is, now it gets into what that document in particular is about. The council therefore sees particularly cogent reasons for undertaking the reform and promotion of the liturgy. So, um that document there, we see just a, a quick overview of some of the purposes of the um, of, of the council as the bishops understood it as they were issuing the first document. Any Anything from that strike you in a particular way, Father?
1: Well, a couple things. Uh, one, just in a general sense of one, I think more particular to this document. Um, but I think just the general one would be, you know, there might be some of our listeners or others you know, like to think about this whole idea of the, the new evangelization or, or, or things of that sort but without maybe knowing that it certainly it wasn't something that Pope John Paul II kind of thought up on his own, you know, or a, not, not a bolt from the blue, you know, from the Holy Spirit, but this was something germinated within the Church in, um, in the Second Vatican Council and even in the, in the time up to the Council. Um, so this whole idea of vigor to the Christian life. Uh, an adaptation uh, to the needs of our time. Uh, fostering uh, the promotion, right, of, of union in the Christian faith. Right. Uh, and then strengthening um, uh, strengthening the, the, that call of the whole mankind into the household of the church. So, that, so all this has an evangelical dimension. Right. You know, that second one, um, f- promoting union, uh, to foster promotion of union, that's really what we might call today the ecumenical movement right. in various ways. And it calls to mind the fact that the ecumenical movement is really uh, about evangelization. That's where the, the greatest and best ecumenism occurs is in uh, evangelistic efforts, not so much in sitting down, well, what do you think, what do I think. Some of the best evangeliz- er, ecumenical efforts happen as we together go out on mission. And that was one of the things germinating going on at the world in the time uh, after uh, the Second World War,
0: right? Yeah, you, you, yeah, you had Christians who were—they realized that the, our lack of unity mm. um, was an impediment to the evangelization of the world, to proclaiming the gospel to the world. Um, yeah, it, it, and as yeah. you said, really, the, the new evangelization really goes back to the Second Vatican Council. Benedict the himself has explicitly made that connection on numerous occasions. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway so go, sorry go ahead Go
1: ahead. my, my other point from that from the introduction uh, uh, would just be at the end of the document itself um, and it says you know, the council sees particular cogent reasons for undertaking the reform and promotion of the liturgy and so whenever we it just I think sometimes maybe as Catholics depending on where you're at when you're listening to this um, you might either think too little of the liturgy like well what's the big deal um, too little of the mass or you might um uh, be very sensitive to, but I think it is important for everyone to be sensitive to the importance of the Mass and how the Mass is celebrated.
0: Because, that's it's, it's a great point, I mean, all these these uh, priorities, these intentions of the Council, that conclusion says, therefore, all these things in mind, we see good reason to reform and promote the liturgy. And initially, you know, somebody made it, well, what? What, where, where's the connection there? Isn't this sort of a non sequitur? I mean, now, okay, so you want to do all the, these things, and then you say, so we're going to promote and reform the way that you worship? But, but absolutely, it flows. The, count, the, the document itself we refer to the liturgy, and particularly the Eucharist, as the source and summit of the Christian life. So if the renewal of the Christian life, the renewal of evangelization is going to happen, there has to be attention paid to the official liturgical prayer of the church.
1: Very much so. And that's also the place where identity is formed. Uh, liturgi- the liturgy, the mass, is formative. Um, you know, it's, it's a formative experience. And one of the interesting things, it's, we're not always aware that it's formative, but it always is. Uh, to maybe use an analogy in marriage prep with couples, we ask a lot of questions about, you know, how did you see your parents interacting? How did your parents speak to one another in arguments? How did your parents work together to raise you? How did your parents handle financial matters? Because what they saw, what they took in, what they experienced forms them in many ways that will then affect them in the rest of their life. And so we have to, uh, in the same way to the mass, We see the mass. We're always getting plugged into the mass. We're experiencing the mass, and so what's being spoken to us, even uh, without words, says a lot.
0: Right, and and it's not just we go and we're informed. We're formed. We're put in intimacy with Christ in the mass. We 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 we, we are taught to certainly, but as you said, there's that formation, um, and and even that intimacy with Christ, which occurs. Uh, in, in the Mass. So we're talking already a little bit about this document itself and I just want to, again, there are, there are four constitutions, the four most important consti- documents of the Council are the four constitutions. Sacrosanctum Concilium was the first of them. We'll get to the other three in a little bit, but I think, you know, Father, for, for most Catholics I would say that the, the um, reform of the liturgy and the changes made to the, to the liturgy, particularly the Mass, um, are what's most obvious and evident, what most people, most Catholics think about when they think about Vatican II. Um, language, the Mass being prayed in the vernacular, um, the priest facing the people. What I think surprises, I'm sure this has been your experience when you talk with people, what surprises many Catholics is that, um, well, all those things obviously are authorized, and I mean, the Holy Father, Pope Paul VI approved all of those things. None of them are found actually in Sacrosanctum Concilium itself.
1: Right. None of those changes are explicitly in uh, the document itself. There are uh, recommendations or encouragements for, you know, among other things, uh, some use of the vernacular. Right. Or, uh, you know, the possibility of some of the music, but at the same time, like, mentions how pride of place is given to uh, Gregorian chant. You know, right. uh, uh uh, paragraph 116 The church acknowledges Gregorian chant is especially suited to the Roman liturgy. Therefore, other things be equal, it should be given pride of place. Uh, of kind, uh, so it's interesting, though, that I mean, would you say in most of your parish experiences that Gregorian chant has pride of place?
0: Right. It's non existent, I think, probably in most parishes. Right. Um, I you know, and this obviously opens up, you know, there's liturgy wars that happen, quote-unquote, people arguing, da 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 Vatican certainly saw a need, the, the bishops saw a need to reform um, the liturgy. Um, that's why this document was issued. Um, Pope John Paul II, Pope Benedict, um, both wholeheartedly agreed with, at the time, the reform of the Mass. Uh, and again, even the changes that happened in the Mass afterwards were legitimate in the sense that they were done with the permission and approval of of the highest authority in the church. Um, but anyway... Uh, it, the point is that renewal of the liturgy as a whole w- was the goal, and so we see one of the four major documents of the council devoted to that. I think it would be very helpful for people, father I'm curious about your thoughts, but I think this is one of the documents that it 's not too long um, that, that would be worth reading to get an idea of what the the council fathers were after because certainly we can all, we can all grow in our own um, the degree to which we participate in the degree to which we pray the liturgy ourselves can always be improved and deepened
1: very much so, and I think it's it's again it's one of the surprising easily ones to read
0: yep, but there's not uh yeah it, the, the the concepts and the terminology are are relatively straightforward the uh, the just for the sake of time, I want to move on to the second constitution, which is. Lumen Gentium, the dogmatic constitution on the church. And so this is the first time, actually, that any ecumenical council um, really looked at the nature, the essence of the church as a whole. And one thing I like to point out, people, you know, you look at the Latin title for the document, Lumen Gentium, which means light of the nations or light of the peoples. Um, and this is on the church, so I think automatically our inclination would be that, okay, so the church is the light of the nations, but it's not. The, the, the Constitution begins <laughs> by talking about what is the light of the nations, and that is, Father, what is the light of the nations? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Um, and, and, and His light shines through the church or is reflected um, by the church onto the peoples of the world, onto the nations. Um, but he is very much the, um, the light, the Savior. Uh, and the church is called to, to bring that light, share that light, spread that light throughout the world. Um, and that's, of course, what to happened.
1: He well, used a wonderful quote by uh, Pope, uh, or not by Pope, but by St. Uh, John Vianney. St. John Vianney would speak of the saints, in that sense, the church. As so many mirrors in which Christ admires Himself.
0: Exactly. Um, the the uh, we are you know the, another image that's often used from Scripture. We are the body of Christ. We are the members, the the feet, the hands, so to speak, by which Christ works. The mouth of Christ, in a sense, proclaiming His truths, um, living His life in the world. You know, one of the things Lumen One of the early before it gets into the different forms of life. You know. Um, Ordained, religious, lay, and so on. One of the first chapters is on the universal call to holiness, and many people would say that that is the, the one of the central themes of Vatican II that all of us are called to be saints. In the context of Lumen Gentium, we are all part of the Church. I think oftentimes, you know, just again, everyday Catholics, when we talk about well, the Church, this, the Church, that, we're really talking about the Magisterium, yeah. about the bishops, and the Pope. But but all of the baptized. Are part of the church. Yes, we have different roles and responsibilities and rights within the church, but everyone who is baptized is, w- in one way or another, a part of the church, and we're all called, therefore, to enter into the life and the mission of the church as well.
1: Very much so. Uh, this is, by the but way, one I-
0: other. Sorry, please.
1: By the way, of, you know, uh, we were just talking about this last night with some students. So I'm sorry. I thought I had what I was. Apologize. Go ahead.
0: Okay. The, the thing I just wanted to note was the um, Lumen Gentium also talking about the church and, and what it means to be a member of the church. It's concluding chapter is on um, the, gr- the, the, the model of the church, the mother of the church, Mary, who is the greatest disciple. Uh, and and that, that was one of the things, You know, how, how would Vatican II, how, would there be a document on Mary? Would it be a separate document where it would be included? And really what the bishops decided is it would be most fitting to talk about Mary in the context of the Church. And vice versa, you can't talk about the Church without talking about she who is its mother and its form, its model. Yep. Yeah. Um, anything else you want to say about Lumen Gentium, Father, before we move on to number three?
1: Not that I can think of,
0: no. Okay. So the third um, constitution that was issued by the bishops at the council was Dei Verbum, the Word of God. Uh, the the uh, subtitle, so to speak, is the Dogmatic Constitution on Divine Liturgy. Uh, sorry, Divine Revelation. The Dogmatic Constitution Divine Revelation. So this this is the shortest constitution and among the shortest documents of the council uh... but it's also various theologians have noted um, perhaps because of its brevity one of the most overlooked uh... we see in De verbum the church's complete presentation of of how god has revealed himself to humanity throughout history the old testament from the beginning of, of time and creation through Old Testament history up to Jesus Christ, and then in Scripture, tradition, and the Magisterium, and it talks also about the importance of Scripture in particular uh, for for all members of the Church that we all um, need to soak ourselves uh, in Scripture, to pray Scripture, to meditate on Scripture. Um, there's there's the the, um, the document quotes, gives one of the famous quotes from St. Jerome, ignorance of scriptures is ignorance of Christ. So there's certainly at Vatican II a strong endorsement of the idea that all members of the church, including the lay faithful, need to and should uh, take up the Holy Bible. Anything you want to note there?
1: Um, Honestly, I tell you, I'm getting a little distracted because I'm thinking about my uh, my thesis uh, in seminary I'm trying to remember because uh, you know you talk about being one of the most overlooked documents at the same time um, something's really ran a little amuck with it and seems uh, yep. more on a personal note, but um, especially in the area of the catechesis yeah um, and so there were some people that really gravely misinterpreted this document um, especially in uh, uh, this notion of um, uh, especially in the, in the idea of, of what Re- in in what revelation consists, mm-hmm. um, I'm just kind of trying to search, look for the phrasing I could think of it. Um, but uh, so it is. It is important to know and to know these things, um, especially I think as we continue to look to recover our identity and some of the maybe uh, hopefully well-intended but bad mistakes that we made.
0: Right, and I, and I think there's a broader point that that's worth making. You know, we we hear a lot about the council. Sometimes you hear about the spirit of the council, but a lot of those ideas have nothing to do with the council. Um, so when 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 you hear about somebody talk about the council, you you might want to gently inquire, ask them, maybe challenge them. You know, where actually in the council documents themselves. Do do you find these ideas? Mm-hmm. And again, that doesn't just because you can't find it in the council doesn't mean it's necessarily contradictory to the council itself, let alone our faith. I've already mentioned some of the changes that were made with the mass after the council. They're again completely legitimate. But sometimes there are, as you this, the example you're giving with catechesis and other other instances as well, there are f- erroneous ideas that claim. People claim that the council called for them or supported them when that's definitely, definitely not the case.
1: Exactly. When, and, and furthermore, just maybe one last thing with that for me, um, is this, uh, it's, it's always just a good idea for anyone. Whenever, whenever anyone talks to you, well, you know, the church says this, or the church says that. It's always good to ask for a source. Mm-hmm. I read my college students all the time. Well, Catholics believe this. Oh, what's your source? You can even ask a professor that. What's right. your source?
0: Well, you don't have one. Oh. So. Exactly, and I, now I mean, you can give them the opportunity too. I mean, just, I'm, I'm sure there are times when people ask, like with myself, I know people ask me, "Well, well how do we know that? Or where does it say that?" And I, I might have to look it up. I, 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 right. I might, well, I'm pretty sure. Be patient with um, them. Exactly, but but nonetheless, you're right. Uh, challenge them to provide that citation. Uh, if not immediately, then at some point. Um, and finally, just for the sake of time, Father, go, go ahead. Sorry. No, you're good. Okay. No, I was just telling you to keep rolling. All right. So for I
1: was okay with you rolling on.
0: Very good. The uh, the fourth and final constitution, the pastoral ch- constitution, the Church in the modern world, *Gaudium et Spes*. Um, the joys and hopes um, Gody spez is a document that it, it, a pastoral constitution what 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 godman spez what the bishops sought to do with this particular document is take uh, the Catholic understanding of the church's teachings and apply them to um, some specific issues at the time but even more broadly there's sort of two parts the, the second part is looking at specific issues in in society um, at the second half of the 20th century many of which are still the case so marriage and Family is one example. Um, but then the first part of the Constitution just looks more broadly at, at um, what the church has to offer mankind. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, how, how the church, you know, I hate to put it this way, but is relevant. Um, we don't need to make the church relevant. We need to show how the church, how her teachings, how Christ is relevant to the men and women of our time because he is, the church is, her teachings are. They do matter. They can make an impact, and in many ways, that's what sec- oh, Godim yeah, Spez was, sec- oh, God, was about. Very much so.
1: I, uh, that desire to um, to engage and to, in, to get into that reality. So, exactly. Yeah.
0: You know, I think um, you know we we tried to breeze through what is Vatican II, the four docu- major documents, um, in in a, a, a short podcast about thirty minutes. I would encourage anybody who's got the least um, bit of interest to take up and read the documents to prayerfully, maybe with maybe one or two other people. Um, you know, it doesn't matter. Maybe it's just yourself, but but. These documents are available online for free. You can read them right the Vatican website, other websites as well. Um but, but maybe consider as we approach and certainly enter this year of faith, um, consider reading these documents prayerfully asking the Spirit to show you how maybe you're being called in a particular way to live them out. Certainly to at least at least to grow an understanding, but even more to live them out so that the, so that the Council can be um, implemented most fully as the Church has been asking us to do. Father, any final thoughts?
1: Uh, yeah, I think whenever you, as you do read this, as you do look at this, Maybe we'll just leave you with a little line from uh, Gaudium and Spes. Uh, maybe you can uh, help me, Dr. Uh, Berger, was it uh, section 22 or 20? Oh, no, 22, 22. 22, good. So I'm right there. And so just maybe just read you, leave you, dear listener, with uh, this little encouragement that as you study or do other things, that we're always doing everything in the light of Jesus Christ. Um, and so uh, section 22 says, the truth is, that only in the mystery of the incarnate word, only in the mystery of Jesus Christ, does the mystery of man, the mystery of your life, take on light. For Adam, the first man, was a figure of him who was to come, namely Christ the Lord. Christ, the final Adam, by the revelation of the mystery of the Father and his love, fully reveals man to himself, fully reveals man to man himself, and makes his supreme calling clear. It does not surprise him then that in him All the aforementioned truths find their root
0: and attain their
1: crown.
0: Amen. We'll leave it with that and we'll be back next week with another episode of Prayer Room Companion. Thanks and God bless.